Hi, this is Tommy G. Kendrick. I'm the producer and host of Actors Talk. Thank you so much for joining me here for what I think, unless I've gone completely batty and that's possible, will be episode 63 of the podcast. I'm talking this evening with Lucas Kitchen. Lucas Kitchen is a young filmmaker, writer, director, super artistic person, as you'll hear in the interview. Lucas was the director and DP on a short film I worked on uh, a year or so ago called Tattered Blanket. And uh, he lives in East Texas and is just an incredibly talented guy. I mean, he's worked literally all over the world in film and documentary filmmaking and in commercials, etc. But he lives and works in a small town in East Texas because that's his choice. And he's able to live the lifestyle he likes and do the work that he's called to do there. And I think that's really, really pretty cool. I had the pleasure of narrating produce, and producing the audiobook from one of his books called Infinite Tomorrow, The Kingdom Chronicles, Book One. And we just got that out within the last few weeks, really. And it's up uh, available on Amazon.com and Audible.com and on iTunes, the audiobook version of Infinite Tomorrow. And we're going to be talking about that book and also about his background and creativity and, and writing and all the things that he's involved in, I think you'll find it to be an inspirational story. So without any further babbling from me, let's get to the interview with Lucas Kitchen. So Lucas, thanks for being with me on Actors Talk tonight. Certainly, yeah. Happy to be here. Oh man, let, let me just ask you a little bit about your background because although you and I have worked together in person once on the short film and then and then uh, a little more at a distance on the audio book, I don't really know that much about you other than that I'm so impressed with your abilities. Did you grow up in East Texas because that's where you live now? Yeah, yeah, I grew up in a little town called Kilgore, so it's in East Texas sure. about 2 hours from Dallas. So there's some creative things that go on there. My dad is a painter, and so he taught or still teaches at Kilgore College, teaches fine art there. And uh, there's a great little theater in town that's got a professional theater called uh, Texas Shakespeare Festival. And so there's some culture. But if you know anything about East Texas, writing and painting and all that is, uh, I wouldn't call it the norm. It's more common to have your cowboy hat on, your boots, and hit the four-wheelers for the weekend. So my brothers and I were fairly creative from a young age, and we kind of stood out, I guess you could say, uh, playing music and telling stories and things like that. So um, interesting upbringing. Is your mom artistic as well? My mom has got this uh, great little Etsy store, if you know what Etsy is. Yeah. And she creates interesting things. She And she's done a lot of things over the years, but this is kind of her latest thing. She creates portable watercolor kits for people all over the world. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, she's uh, designed and prototyped these art kits that you can carry with you. And um, so she gets orders from all over the place, Australia and, you know, uh, Europe. And uh, so, yeah, she's sort of in the um, support and artist kind of field, you know, creating creative tools for artists. And she's a, she's a bit of an artist herself. So, um, so you really come by your artistic leanings. Honestly, you grew up with this as part of your life. Then it sounds like. 
totally seemed normal to me. I didn't realize until we were, you know, out of the house that it wasn't normal to spend the Saturday painting or something like that, you know. So, yeah. you know, we would take trips and dad had a lesson that he would always, you know, always, always taught us. And it was never go anywhere without a sketchbook. And so we always oh, wow. would carry something to draw with or something to write with or whatever. Oh, that's hardcore. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he... I love he, it. We wouldn't be punished or anything, but, you know, sure. there were definitely times when, you know, we'd stop the van and pull over to sketch a scene or something. So, oh, man, that um, is so unusual and so great. Yeah, it was a, it was a good, good times. It was... What were you drawn to earliest in sort of a creative sense? Was it drawing then or was it music or performance or writing? I guess my first interest was probably hand-drawn art of various kinds. But as a fairly young kid, I, I started to see that um, there were others that were better, and I felt like I excelled in some other things. And so I moved more towards music for a lot of years. There was sort of a scene. I mean, you know, people from a big city wouldn't call it a scene, but there's kind of a music <laughs> scene. You know, we, we would play at these little dives in the area when we played Christian music. So you can imagine how few venues there were for that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, we, you know, made a lot of noise in my parents' garage and had a little studio. And so got real comfortable kind of in the media uh, making media of various kinds. You asked about writing. So for me, writing came along later for what I think a fairly specific reason. I, being a pretty poor speller and a little confused about punctuation as a young kid, I thought I couldn't write. You know, I thought that the technical skill that I lacked, I thought that would keep me from writing. And so for years, I would tell stories. I would actually speak at places. I did a lot of public things, motivational speaking and stuff like that. But I shied away from letting people see my written word because I was so afraid that I was doing it wrong. You know, I wish somebody would have sat me down and said, hey, you're a good storyteller. You have some weaknesses. It would be great if you worked on these things because you really could you know, do something with this. So probably when I was about 30 or so, um, I'm 33 or 34 now, I get confused about my age, Some somewhere in there. Uh, that's something only an artist would say, I really want to forget. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so probably for the last four or five years, I've been actively writing actual fiction. I wrote nonfiction before that. And I've just had a fantastic time. I, I wish I would have started younger when I first became aware of you, Leanne Morris had asked me if I would uh, participate in this uh, short film, yeah. Tattered Blanket. And I said, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm interested. And she said, well, take a look at this other film I produced. And, you know, you can kind of maybe get an idea of kind of work we're doing or whatever. I, I watched that short and I went, whoever shot this is really talented. Mm. Oh, that's, and that's very I kind. I really like the visual storytelling going on here and, and how this person works with the camera and everything was very accomplished and something that I wasn't necessarily expecting to see. And so I got back to her and I said, is, is this guy shooting the film? And she said, yes. And I said, well, count me in <laughs> because I, I really oh. like to work with this guy. Oh, that's very and, cool. Uh, so when in, in your journey, did you pick up, working with a camera or filmmaking or video. I realized that I actually left a big part of my story out there as I was talking a minute ago. So I'm a big believer in high school level vocational programs. And the reason why is because I first picked up a camera in a high school media class. And this media class was an absolute joke. I mean, we 
were at the donut shop more often than we were actually shooting anything. But we got acquainted with shooting videos, how to storyboard, you know, a lot of the basic stuff so that when the opportunity came up later in my life, you know, a number of years later, I already felt like, yeah, I probably could do that, you know. So for me, um, my first professional projects doing, uh, you know, in the video realm were actually summer camps, kids' summer camps. And so, really, yeah, I had someone ask, would you be willing to shoot video at this summer camp? And I thought, well, if I did that, I'd have to probably quit my job. I can't just take off for a week, you know. So I called around some people I knew that did other camps. You know, I'd played music and we had done camps doing music, you know. And so I called around and booked 10 camps that summer. And I thought, okay, wow. well, I guess I'll quit my job uh, and I'll just have to find another job at the end of the summer. And so I, you know, just back to back, week to week, did these week long camps. And then once the summer ended, I just kept thinking, well, I'll have to get, it was sort of like that, you know, next year in Jerusalem thing that, that uh, the Jews say. I just kept saying, well, you know, next week I'll have to get a job, you know. <laughs> so, um, uh, so that I just sort of continued saying that until after a year or two, I realized, hey, I'm I'm a freelance videographer. I'm I'm making a living, and so I did that for about seven years, and the clients kind of grew. But my dream always through that time was that I would shoot these commercial projects so that I could work on the film projects that I wanted to work on, like the ones that you mentioned. The benefit was I had the equipment, I had the the skill and the experience to put together short films or even some features. We did some uh, feature documentaries, some international stuff here and there. And so by the time we were ready to really do those kind of projects, it was, it was, it was fun. It wasn't stressful as you can imagine it would have been had I been just a beginner doing it. So yeah, high school level vocational programs are, uh, <laughs> are great. Yeah. I, I don't think I would have been able to do you know, uh, have that confidence to start that had I not done it some in high school. Here's something that, that I'm curious about. Did you ever want to or consider taking your talents to a bigger market? Or is there some reason you stay in a rather small town in East Texas and do what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, are there some reasons for for staying there? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I actually got that a lot when I was shooting film now that I'm, I'm writing more, I don't shoot as much film. I still do some, but I got that a lot when I was shooting film. And so it would usually come in the form of, uh, you know, some East Texan saying, well, you going to move to Hollywood next, you know, <laughs> something like that. And the way I would, I would explain it is that in Hollywood, there are 10,000 other me's. There's 10,000 other people that are as, as talented as I am. And they're, you know, they're, waiters and waitresses and things like that. But in East Texas, there's lots of work to be had. I mean, there's so many projects to do. And provided that I'm willing to make some compromises on, you know, the kind of, vol I mean, a lot of times it, it winds up being volunteers that you have to work with if you're doing projects and stuff like that. But, you know, I have some other motivations other than just, you know, getting famous. I actually, I think because of my experience playing music in kind of the local area and then in some larger markets, I realized that once you get to the level that you thought you wanted to be to, a lot of times it's not nearly as satisfying as you thought it would be. Uh, the band that I used to play with, we got up to where I was on a plane every week flying somewhere to play music, you know, out in West Texas or whatever, uh, in Lubbock mostly, in front of lots of people every week. And I, I just realized, hey, this is this is fun. It'll be something I tell my grandkids someday. But honestly, I kind of like B 
being home in front of my sketchbook or my computer coming up with ideas, you know? And so I think because we're in the internet age where you can actually share things without having to go get those huge investors, I'm just extremely happy doing that. You know, I do sometimes get down about the idea that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not getting seen by as many people as, you know, possibly I could or whatever. But when I can wake up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, sit on my swing outside and the weather's, you know, nice, I just, I couldn't trade that in for anything, you know, writing a story. It's just magical. It's just, it's just fantastic. And I I think if I was in a bigger market, I would have to think about other things a lot more. So I'm kind of a dreamer, I guess, but that's, it's just, it's just so wonderful to not have those kind of, uh, those kind of draws. And that doesn't exactly answer your question. It's, but you know, I could just hear people in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago or somebody where you know, some people listening to what you just said going, boy, that sounds pretty nice <laughs> to, to be able to to do your art and your work and still have that kind of uh, of a lifestyle and a community to to be in. That's, you know, uh, just what it is and which is probably a lot less stressful than in, in some other locales. Yeah, so it's, certainly. It's yeah, cool. I mean, I, I definitely agree. I mean, you know, when, especially when I was shooting commercial stuff. I would I would shoot in LA, you know, I'd you know, we would go out there and shoot projects and I always thought it was funny that, you know, they'd fly out some kid from you know, I wasn't a kid at the time, but I felt like some kid from East Texas to shoot in, you know, the camera capital of the world and you know, I don't know, it's just but when I would do those projects out there or we, we shot some stuff in India and Thailand and China and stuff like that. And so when I would do those, I always would think, I'm ready to go home, you know, I mean I'm I'm just, uh, I like being in East Texas. And, you know, I think, I think the other thing that has changed and allowed guys like me to stay home stay, or stay in their, their market is that the distribution model has changed. No longer. Hasn't it? Wow, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No longer do you have to get a theatrical premiere to be seen. I mean, you know, there's YouTubers that are getting millions of hits. Now, that's not me. I don't, you know, don't get me wrong there, but there's YouTubers who are getting millions of hits on a weekly episode that they put out or even more and so that distribution was just unimaginable 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago i don't know so that's changed how guys like you and me can can work you know yeah Um, and for you know people on my side of the camera too for actors this the same thing is occurring there are so many pockets of production yeah. around the country and, and a lot of that's been driven by state film incentives driven and dried up by you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. not only here in Texas, but in Louisiana, New Mexico, North Carolina. Right now, Atlanta is just absolutely exploding. Really? With, I didn't know uh, that. Oh, my gosh. They've, they've taken over, really, Atlanta. Wow. They're building a lot of uh, studio infrastructure there. I think the, at one point within the last year, I, maybe the last pilot season, I think that there were 30 or 40 TV pilots that shot in it. Good grief! You know, so I mean, wow. I mean, you're talking about a massive amount of work. Yeah, you know, a lot of actors still think that they have to go to Hollywood or New York, uh, especially to quote unquote make it. But the fact is, just like you're having success and work actually working, 
where you are, actors can now do something similar if they uh, have some flexibility and understand that they don't have to go to these larger markets. They can not only train in a regional market or a smaller market, but they can get significant amounts of work yeah. in those markets as well now because distribution has changed, production has changed. The whole industry is uh, is, is changing rapidly, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, I would guess in, in a market like that, there's probably a lot less competition at auditions, you know, if you're in Atlanta or, you know, I, for a while it was it was sort of the uh, Bossier Shreveport area in Louisiana. There was a lot of work out there and, right. you know, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's still well, what, people what's lined happening up. But. Is that is that in-person auditions, they're certainly not gone, but now most of the auditions I've had over the last year have been where I put myself on tape yeah. and, it, and then upload that to a, a file service through, through my agent. And then that gets downloaded in New Mexico or Atlanta or in New Orleans or somewhere. Man, so, that's great. You know, yeah, so then yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you could actually have five auditions in a single day across the country, I guess. Well, you you could be a little yeah. much, <laughs> and, and probably probably if you're in the demographic, which is much younger than my age now, that's very possible. Actually, <laughs> yeah. when did you start writing novels? Well, I'll say from the first time I bought a camera so that I could do video work and mostly commercial work, I dreamed of making feature length narrative movies, not necessarily documentaries. Although I did do documentaries, but. I dreamed of doing narrative movies. And so I, I sort of, I have this thing I call idea euphoria. I would have these movie ideas that were just extravagant and, you know, the budget would be ridiculous on these ideas that I would have, but I would keep them, you know, I'd write them down in a little book and, you know, kind of keep them um, on the back burner, I guess you could say. And so what I realized after shooting film work for a little while is that they were completely unrealistic. The first narrative feature length that I did was a total bomb. We, we called it Cookie. We, we were just eager to get into the production, so we totally rushed the writing phase and sort of were like, "Oh, you know, people will love it. We'll just we'll just kind of skimp on the script, and you know, we'll make it we'll make it up where you know where we're loose or whatever." And we made it, and it was the worst movie ever. Now <laughs> it looked good. I mean, it, it, the technical end of it was really nice. I mean, you know, cinematography wise, it was a pretty decent attempt, but it was just a, an absolute failure. But because of that, and because I realized how much work it was to do narrative features and how expensive, that was really the, the main thing. I began to think, well, what am I going to do with all these ideas? I mean, I had so much fun dreaming up these things, you know, these, I had a, an idea of a garbage man in space and, you know, that's, <laughs> that'd be cheap to, you know, cheap to make. I, I had heard somewhere that uh, surrounding the earth is this sort of dome of garbage that we've left from, you know, various space missions or whatever. And so I imagined yeah. this garbage man in space, you know, going around. It's just an interesting thing. I could never oh, make hilarious. that though. You know, just never, never could afford to make something like that. I, I can't say never, but it was unlikely. Kind of goes back to that thing I said earlier. My, my English skills in, in writing form may not be great, but I could probably hire an editor to clean it up or I could, you know, I could find some proofreaders and, and stuff like that. And so I started writing and I just had a blast. I mean, it was like, I could build a set in 30 seconds. You know, I could cast the story in another 15 seconds and I could be shooting a minute later. I mean, that's what it felt like. The tool for storytelling was just so much more, I guess I'd say readily available. It's at my fingertips, you know, right at the keyboard. 
that was just sort of intoxicating. I mean, it was just such a magical thing to be able to create a story and hide that I have no budget. I mean, my budget looks the same as any writer's budget. You sit down and you make sure. words, you know, you line them up and hopefully people will like it. And so that's what got me into writing was actually wanting to do movies. And so, okay. and as soon as I kind of discovered that, the big mo- narrative movie dream was basically replaced. It, wa- it wasn't gone exactly, but I mean, I would love to see my stories made into movies, but more realistically, I just realized that this is the medium for me, I think. Right. You have a number of books on Amazon, on your author's page. There. Mm-hmm. Where did Infinite Tomorrow come in in line? Is it, is it one of your more recent books or was it written some time ago? Yeah, Infinite Tomorrow was probably finished... The middle of last year, last year being 2015, and then I usually try to trail the audiobook pretty quick after the publish because I love audio. Orson Orson Scott Card said at the end of one of his uh, audiobooks, he did this little author talk back, he said he feels like the premier art form for fiction is the audiobook when it's performed by a good actor. You know, that's just because it's not abridged like a movie is. Movies are great, but for him, you know, it's an audiobook. And so in my mind, the audiobook is just the most fantastic thing I've ever experienced. I mean, some of my favorite moments have been while I was listening to an audiobook, as ridiculous as that is. Just such a such a wonderful medium. And so for me, when I write something, I'm really interested to see it become an audiobook fairly quickly. Because I notice among my audience, there are just there's some who I'm very I feel very loyal to that don't necessarily read they listen you know and so um so i don't know audio just has such a special place in my heart i mean you've you've heard all these characters in your head you know what they sound like to you and they're probably not going to sound not exactly the same for sure and maybe not anywhere near the same is that something you have to get past are you okay with that or how does that strike you when you start hearing your characters speaking out of someone else's mouth yeah that's a good question I've tried to work with some folks that didn't work out. And so what I learned from the process is it's worth it to connect with professionals. It's worth it to connect with people that have done this for a long time. And so sometimes what happens when you're looking for a a narrator for a book is you can get blinded by what I call Mr. Big Voice. And so you can find people out there who are narrators who talk like the radio commercial between, you know, between the songs Sure. But they're not they're not performers, they're not actors. And so at pretty early on, I realized it's better to have an actor than it is to have this big, robust voice. And if you if you find an actor who's got a great voice, then great. But to me, getting an actor who understands performance and understands just the voice of how a story is told is really a, a lot more important. And so I guess the way I direct in in a way is to find people that I I feel like I can trust. And since we had worked together before, I very much trusted your instinct. And that's that's kind of the case with most of the people I wind up jumping into a project with. We've talked about it sort of on the edges. What is the book Infinite Tomorrow about? What's the story? Set on New Earth. And New Earth is a planet that comes after Earth. And there's not a lot of description in the book 
you know, what's happened to create that situation. It opens in a gardened setting with 12 young boys who are being taught by a character that's called an Evangeline. That's basically the setting. And so they, it's, it's, it's a boy goes on a journey story. It's, you know, kind of what I call it. It's sort of, he's called to the wild. He's, he's given this task to um, go to a distant mountain. And, and obviously in, I mean, anybody that's read this style of story, the lesson is in the journey, not in the completion of the mission, you know? So he learns things along the journey and encounters various things. And so really it's, it's what I would call a milieu story. It's, it's, it's largely about the world that he's living in. It's about the character too, and it's about his development and his arc. But it's really a lot about this new Earth, this this setting that hopefully future books are going to take place in. I'm hoping to to continue the series and um, sure. develop it on up into I don't know a trilogy or something like right. that. So yeah. so hopefully there'll be more. But yeah, so that's the that's the basic. And would you call it a fantasy or science? Yeah, fiction? certainly. What, I, what I'd call genre it, does it fall in? Yeah, I would. I would call it fantasy. I heard a great term the other day from somebody. They said science fantasy. You know, usually we yeah. hear science fiction, but I'm really enamored with sort of the development of technology. And you know, I had this idea that at some point in the very distant future, technology. And life will re, I almost said re-merge. That's not really a good way. They will merge. So right now, our technology, although it's it's great, it's it's clunky and it's extemporaneous to us. It's, it's outside of our bodies and our minds. But at some point, uh, technology will not, I think, will not necessarily be separate from who we are. It'll just be part of how we, you know, how we operate. Now, this may not be in my lifetime or, you know, I, this may be very very distant future, but I'm really enamored with this idea that fantasy and science fiction are really not all that different. An author that I like said once that the only difference between fantasy and science fiction is one has rivets and one has trees. And so, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I think of them as as very similar. And so in a lot of my books, and Infinite Tomorrow included, the fantasy elements are woven into the sci-fi elements. So there's definitely a science fiction feel to parts of the story, but there's you know, it's it's basically kind of encouched in this this fantasy. So, so yeah, so I like science fantasy. As I read this book and read it aloud and read it for myself, the thing I kept thinking was, man, this would make a great movie. Oh, I'd <laughs> love to see it as but a But it would be really expensive. <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard to make. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, no, maybe you could do it as a as an animated movie or, yeah. you know, or, or something, you know? I'm only imagining here, but one of the fun things I can imagine for a writer is to see another director realize the vision and to see what it would be in somebody else's hands. I'm sure that can be both frustrating, but also just exhilarating to see how does somebody else see it, you know? Because like, you read it, and I have I have no idea the images that are going on in your head or in other readers' heads, and it just be, it would be so interesting to be able to really share those visuals, you know, and boy, that would be neat. Infinite Tomorrow, the audiobook is available on Amazon and Audible and iTunes. Hopefully people hearing this will, will want to check that out. When I first started reading it, I thought, well, you know, this may be for, for younger people, and then Pretty quickly, I went. Yeah, you know, there's some there's some pretty uh, intense stuff here that you wouldn't want to get too young because they might get scared. When you write, do you have in mind who your audience in in terms of 
you know, those sorts of categories are, or do you just write the story? I guess I would say I don't really know who it's for until it's finished. I mean, I'm, I might have an idea. This one, I would say, is probably targeted at fantasy lovers who are young at heart, I guess, um, that love a journey sort of story. Uh, I like that. Yeah, so for me, I, I still read, like... I read Narnia every couple of years, you know, it's a children's book. I mean, it's just totally a children's book, but the Hobbit's another great example, but I, sure. I still yeah. really enjoy those. And so Absolutely. I'm sort of targeting at people that, uh, I guess I would say look past the, the age on the cover. Um, so I feel like a younger, you know, a, a young teen could could enjoy it. I feel like an older an older um, reader is probably going to get more from it. I've generally been saying around 13, 13 and up or somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah. yeah. Just so people know, too, there's a very strong sort of spiritual journey in this story. I think that fiction is really important. I think fiction is one of the best vehicles for sharing whether you're, the lesson you want to share is spiritual or it's you know social or whatever. I think fiction is one of the best vehicles for that. And when, when you look at influential people throughout history, whether it be you know Martin Luther King or Jesus or Gandhi or whatever, they're great storytellers. You know, so I mean, I, I say to people sometimes that um, Jesus was a fiction writer. You know, I mean, he had a lesson to teach, but he did it through stories. And I just, I think, anytime we have a lesson that's important, and I'm using the word lesson that maybe isn't the best, but anytime we have a a moral that we really want people to understand, I think there's no better vehicle than than fiction, just because. It's sort of like it, it creeps up on you, you know, the the moral of the story, you sort of realize it at some point, but you're still enjoying the story. And so, yeah, that's... Uh, you know what? I think that's kind of a super place to end our discussion. And there will be links in the show notes to Lucas Kitchen's page on Amazon.com. So you can go look for his other books there. And also you can find their links to where you can find the audio book to Infinite Tomorrow or the other audio books for his works that, that are available as well. Thanks a lot. Is there anything you wanted to say before we wrap up and tell the folks goodbye? If you don't mind, I wouldn't mind plugging my website, if that's cool. Absolutely. Wearefiction.org. It's a great place for fiction of all kinds so there's web comics there's short stories there's even episodic stories that will keep you riveted for months so we are fiction.org and i will also have a link to that site and okay. maybe even some screen grabs or some visual elements from that on the show notes for the podcast so people can be sure and find it if they don't remember that don't worry that there will be links at actorstalkpodcast.com for this episode so Lucas, thank you. I appreciate you being on Actors Talk. It's been, been a lot of fun to talk to you and get to know you better in your background. It's super. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I hope we can work together again on something in the future. Man, I sure do. That's for sure. <laughs> God bless you. All right. You too. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Man, oh man. I like that guy, Lucas Kitchen. He is one talented dude. So just check out his uh, webpage, and we'll have the links to that on the show notes at actorstalkpodcast.com. That'll be actorstalkpodcast.com slash 63, as this will be episode 63. So we'll have links to his webpage that he mentioned, also to the Amazon page where you can check out all of the books that he has available for sale. But I really hope you'll check out this audiobook 
Infinite Tomorrow, the Kingdom Chronicles, book one. It was such a delight to be chosen to narrate this book, and I, I loved it. I absolutely love narrating the book. And if you have someone in your life, or maybe you who are 13 years up, and that's kind of the target age. There's no requirement for that. There's no offensive language or anything in the book. It's it's just kind of there's some intense scenes that are that might be inappropriate for somebody really young. They might get scared, but uh, it's just a wonderful story, well told. And I hope you will check it out because I think you're going to love it. Well, that's it. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Actors Talk Podcast. Upcoming, I'm going to try something new, I think, for the next episode. And I'll put it out there now, and we'll see if it happens. But uh, a new friend of mine who is also a podcaster and a filmmaker who got in touch with me, he and I are talking about doing a podcast on Blab.im. Blab is a sort of a relatively new uh, format or, or venue where you can do real-life chats we're going to do that and we're going to kind of interview each other and there will be opportunities for an audience to be there and ask questions or make comments and that kind of thing. So I'll let you know more about that coming up, but uh, that's it for now. Thanks so much for being with me here on Actors Talk Podcast. God bless you all. I hope to see you in the movies. This is Tommy. So long.